Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Thank you, Pastor. Love you, Kurt. So good to be back here. Um, I don't know if you guys remember me from last year. I spoke on a message called The Power of Peace and how God's peace is powerful. And it's not the absence of conflict, but it's the kingdom transcending the conflict. It's overcoming the conflict. It's his kingdom established on earth. That's the peace of God. The peace of God is not something that is uh, absent, but it's actually an anointing that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, my peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so it's really important that we walk in the peace of God. It says this, that the kingdom of heaven is not about, uh, is, the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And according to the Apostle Paul, the peace of God is a third of the kingdom of heaven. So as Christians, if we're not living in his peace, we're missing out on a third of the kingdom of heaven. It's that important. So that was last year, okay? Um, So excited to be here this year. My my wife and I, we, uh, my wife Ruth, um, really does love you guys, and uh, she follows you, and she wears your Central Assembly T-shirt that you give me. She thinks it's really comfy, and especially during her pregnancy days, she really likes that shirt. (laughs) So, um, and then we got a little onesie. as a gift from you guys uh, this year, because I have a three-week-old boy, little boy named Oscar. So, um, my wife and I, um, we have, uh, uh, I have five kids in total now. I'm not Amish. I live in Pennsylvania with five, five kids, but I'm not Amish. Uh, my, my, I have twins from when I was really, uh, from my younger days, I call it my BC days, you know, before Christ. And, um, and they're beautiful kids, a boy and a girl. My son's name's Giovanni. My daughter's name's Juliana. They're about 13 and a half years old. Yes, I am Italian, if you're wondering. That's why I look this attractive. And, uh, and then um, also, um, I have a, 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 a little girl named Shiloh. She's two and a half years old. A little girl named Freya. She's 13 months old. And now Oscar. So, yeah, we're... we're uh, we're blessed. We're so happy. And um, yeah, it's great. And, uh, and I had hair all the way up until three kids ago. So, um, so that's, that's basically me. If you, if you don't know me, um, I've, I really feel like the Lord has a message that I should give this, this, uh, this morning. I really feel... Uh, the worship was amazing, by the way. Thank you, worship team. The Spirit of God was moving. You guys are so blessed to have wonderful worship leader and uh, pastors, and I'm just so thankful, Pastor Kerr, Pastor Sharice, for having us here. Just so thankful. Richie Seltzer, if you've not heard of Richie Seltzer, he's one of the, actually, one of the most powerful evangelists I've ever come across. I'm so honored to be called his friend and one of his best friends, and, um, and he's my best friend. And, uh, and so if you haven't heard of him, you want to come tonight because he, he's the real deal. And um, if, if you're ever hanging out with Richie, you will always be late to where you're going because he, he actually talks to every single person about Jesus. And uh, we're exhausted last night. We're coming back to the hotel, and he's in the courtyard talking to uh, the lobby and talking to this uh, lady and this man about Christ and praying for their back and leading her to Jesus. And I'm like, man, Richie, you're just amazing. Like, he just, he challenge, I bring him along because he challenges me all the time. And so uh, come tonight, you, you will be, your life will be changed. Um, all right, well, I don't know if you remember last year, I do like to tell a few little jokes before my messages, because if you don't like my message, you might like my joke, you know? So, and I think they're cute. And this is, um, <laughs> and these are not, no, and these are not uh, approved by the pastor, so if you get offended, um, just be mad at Richie uh, or someone else. No. All right. Which one should I tell? All of them. Oh, Richie. All right. Okay. Hmm. All right. All right, I'll tell this one. It's a little one, and I think it's cute. Morris, an 82-year-old man, went to the doctor to get a physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a gorgeous young woman on his arm. A couple days later, the doctor spoke to Morris and said, You're really doing great, aren't you? Morris replied, Just doing what you said, doc. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. 
The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you've got a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> I thought that was cute. All right, all right. Come back, Holy Spirit. Come back, Jesus. We love you, Lord. All right. Well, I love Pennsylvania. I'm born and raised in Pennsylvania. Came from uh, right outside Philadelphia. I grew up in Lower Bucks County um, in a place called Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And, um, and Richie, who is originally from Newport News, Virginia, planted a church in Calgary, but has now come to the promised land and moved to Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. So he's made it. So this is destination state right here. You know, you have two incredible football teams. You have the Philadelphia Eagles, which are amazing, the best team in the NFL. And then you have, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers that, you know, they're, they're fun to watch sometimes. And, uh, uh, all right, okay. Some people are just not loving this. All right, let's get to the point. Well, I, 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 love, um, I love ministering the gospel, but, I, you know, God's really laid it on my heart, um, this one message, because it, I feel like, I don't know if you've ever been in this position before, but you're, you've had all these prophetic promises over your life. You've had these things that God's giving you personally, or, or maybe you've envisioned where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be achieving, but no one really has laid out the plan on how to get there. And, and you know, maybe you've been in a service or a conference, and, and you've just got really touched by Jesus, and he showed you, man, your tent's expanding, you're, you're going here. You're, you're increasing. This is what's going on in your life. You're going to be in this position, and you're like, yes, God, yes, I'll do it. You know, this is great. And we, all, we end up praying all these prayers that we actually sing in a song that we wouldn't really pray by ourselves because they're so, you know, it's like, make me, mold me, crush me, pound me into sand. You know what I mean? It's like, you really wouldn't pray this, but God sneaks them into worship songs. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, you know, and there's these amazing experiences, but we don't really know the process of how to get to the promise. And I often find that there's a desert land in front of the promised land. And if you don't know how to navigate the desert, you'll never get to the fulfillment of what God's giving you and where you're supposed to be. And so there's a, what I want to talk to you today is not like a popular topic, but it is so needed in the church today. It's so needed in a Christian life. And it's called the process. I like to call it the prophetic process. And whenever you talk about process, you can't talk about process without talking about waiting. Process and waiting go hand in hand. It's almost like diet and exercise. You usually can't just diet without exercise or exercise without diet. They go hand in hand. And so before I get into the, the idea of process, I want to talk to you about waiting. Waiting is significant. It's, it's biblical. I'm going to read a few scriptures that are um, uh, uh, pertinent to this and so that we can say that we opened our Bibles, Proverbs 8, 34, 35. It says this in Proverbs 8, 34, 35. My wife says I say scriptures too quickly, so I'm, I'm hearing her yell at me right now. So It said, blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life. And receive favor from the Lord. Isaiah 40:31. It's a very popular scripture. It says this, but a lot of times we don't realize the significance of the first part. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They, sh uh, they shall run and not grow weary. And they shall walk and not faint. There's something that you have that is one of the most valuable resources on the planet. You've been given it personally, each one of you. You've been given a certain amount of it, and nobody can take it from you necessarily or give you more of it. You can't buy more of it. You can't exchange it for something else. There's something that each one of you have that's actually priceless, invaluable, and can't be numbered, and that's your time. There's something about your time. You have it, and it doesn't depend on how, how rich you are or poor you are. Everyone is, starts out with time, a certain quantity of it. And you get to decide how you spend your time. And when you switch to a value of waiting, you're actually, and waiting on the Lord, you're actually giving God one of your most valuable resources back to Him. 
Think about it. You can spend it any way you want. You could watch uh, something on your phone. You could uh, watch the game. You could um, uh, mow the lawn. You can do anything you want with that time. But when you specifically put it with the Lord, you're showing him that you're valuing the waiting. I, re- I remember when I was in, um, uh, in November, November 2016, uh, at the, uh, uh, I was in the back of a church just got done ministering. I was walking through the back there, and the Lord stopped me in my tracks. He just speaks to me right to my heart, and he says, Paul, I want you to start fasting. I said, what, God? He says, I want you to start fasting. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, I, I, I'm not against fasting. I think it's biblical. I have friends who fast like 40 days every year. I have other friends who fast like one day every week. I'm not against it. I just don't like it. I mean, I don't know anyone who loves fasting. I think it should be called slowing. There's nothing fast about it. I don't know why it's called fasting. I mean, I might not think about a meal ever during the day, but when I'm fasting, I'm like, man, I'd be eating lunch right now. It's like, I got five more hours and 20 more days until I can eat. You know, it's like, it's, it's all of a sudden time slows down on you. And so, and, and I, I can find myself um, uh, becoming really religious when I do things over and over again. And I, I want it to be something that's, that's real and authentic. And so I've always told God, you know, God, I, I, I won't fast a certain, you know, every year or so, but if you ever call me to it, I'll do it. I'll be obedient. And my wife, uh, God bless her, she's, she's a wonderful woman. And um, uh, she's taught me this lesson, you know, um, my, my twins, uh, she inherited them. They're, they're, she, she doesn't call herself a stepmom. She says, I, re, she says, I refuse to be called a stepmom, she says, because uh, it has a negative connotation. She said, you know, I'll never replace your mother, kids. You, your mother is a good mother, but she says, you can call me a bonus mom. That's what she calls herself, a bonus mom. And so, uh, so they love her. She loves them. And, and my son, he's watching TV, and, and I'm telling him, you know, I'm trying to give him responsibilities, and, and he's about like 10 years old or so, and, and I'm like, Giovanni, take out the trash. He's like, okay, Dad. I said, son, no, I want you to take the trash out. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, no, son, take the trash out. He's like, yeah, I'm on my way, you know, and he's, he's just watching that screen. And my, my wife, she's... she's uh, up something in the kitchen, and she stops what she's doing, and she turns to him, and she says, Giovanni, slow obedience is disobedience. And it struck me, or delayed obedience is disobedience, however you want to say it. I was like, wow, there's something about immediate obedience that releases the miracle, something about immediate obedience to Christ that shows your loyalty, your faithfulness to him, and it's like there's this, there's this release in the supernatural when you immediately obey. And, um, and so I've learned when God tells me something, I say yes, even when I don't like it. So I said, okay, God, I'll fast. When do you want me to fast? He said, November 30th to December 30th. I said, God, that's bad timing. That's not a good time to fast. If it were up to me, God, I would fast January 2nd to February 2nd. That's the time to fast. I'll probably need it by then. So I said, okay. Now listen, there's seasons in your life where you will need to practice the presence, which is by Brother Lawrence, where, I don't know if you ever read the book, Practice the Presence, a classic. Brother Lawrence talks about how you are constantly in communion with God throughout your day, whether you're washing the dishes, whether you're washing the car, whether you're working at work, you're not breaking communion. You're not, it's not like you just set a certain time aside. You're always in constant communion. It's a wonderful book. And that's, there's times in my life where that's, that's how I have to be because I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I, I work, I travel, and so I'm, I'm not breaking communion with God. I have to consciously do it. But then I believe this. I believe there are times where God will draw you by His Spirit into a place of waiting on Him. There's a seasons for it. And so when He had called me to this fast, I knew that He was drawing me to this time of waiting on Him. And so every day I would set aside an hour or two a day where I would go in my prayer closet and I would shut that door and I would wait on the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever done this because when I was thinking about it, when when God had called me to fast and I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready mentally and physically, I started to get excited about fasting. I started, you know, there's going to be these amazing encounters and God's going to give me this revelation and it's going to be wonderful and beautiful and I just can't wait. There's going to be angels and it's going to be, you know, like, I don't know, you know, just like, what are you going to show me, God? And so I shut my prayer closet. I get, you know, I get the atmosphere right, the music. You know, I'm like, all right, Lord. (laughs) 
Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I mean, no one really tells you what it looks like to wait because it's boring. Can we just be honest? It's not stimulating. It's not fun. It's not. And I'm going, man, God, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you having me wait? Listen, I started to realize something as day after day I would go in and wait on the Lord. Now, it's not like God wasn't speaking. I, I believe God never stops speaking. He's constantly speaking to us. But, but the thing that I, I was waiting for him for, I just wasn't hearing. I, I knew he was withholding something. Listen, if, I know if you ask me to bench 200 pounds right now, I know I look like I can do it, but I can't do it. It's just not possible. I can't bench 200 pounds. But if you took me to the gym every day or every other day, and with a lot of supplements, eventually I would be able to bench 200 pounds. And there's something that was happening when I was waiting on the Lord, where I was getting stronger and stronger, and I was weight training on Him. And I realized that the word that God wanted me to release to me, he was waiting until I was strong enough to be able to carry it. And there was something that was happening with trust and intimacy as I continued to be faithful to wait on him so that when he released the word, I would trust that it was really from God. And so when we talk about process, you have to understand the value of waiting on him so that you can strengthen yourself to carry the word or the destiny that he's about to release to you. You guys okay? All right. The process. Let's talk about the process, shall we? Some of us talk about I'll give you a football scenario. Sometimes we think that we're not getting the word that we want or what we're hearing from God because we're going in the wrong direction. But a lot of times that's not the case. It's just that God's waiting until we're in the right place. It's almost like a quarterback. Let's say Carson Wentz. Okay, Ben Roethlisberger. Let's say Ben Roethlisberger drops back and he's not going to release that ball. If he releases that ball too soon to the receiver, that receiver either will not catch it or will be hit too quickly. So he's waiting until that receiver's in the right position so that when he releases the ball, the receiver can catch it and go in for the touchdown. And oftentimes God's still wanting to give you what you need, still wanting to give you what you're asking for. You're just not in the right position for it yet. You're going in the right direction. You're just not in the right place yet. And so it's not that you're, you're, you're wrong or you're doing something wrong. God's just waiting until you're in the right position to receive it, okay? And that's why waiting is so important. When it comes to the process, I love the story that is in Genesis 29. It talks about Jacob. Jacob is looking for a wife. He goes to the land of his mother in the land of Haran, and he walks into the city, into the town, and by the well, he's, well, first of all, he sees a bunch of shepherd boys, and he's hanging out with them, and then while he's talking to them, there's a woman who comes by the well, and he sees this fine young woman, and he goes, wow, who is that? And the shepherd boys say, oh, that's Rachel. He goes, I'm going to have to introduce myself to Rachel. And he goes over to Rachel, and he talks to Rachel, and he finds out that actually Rachel and him are related, that this is actually his, his, his uncle's daughter. And I know that sounds weird to nowadays. Back then it was okay, so don't let that bother you. We're just going to ignore that fact. Okay? All right. Things were different back then. I don't know how else to explain it. But he, he loves Rachel. He falls in love with her. Rachel brings him back to the house, and he's working for his uncle Laban. He's working for him for a month. Now, you know this man is in love because no man will work for free for a month. He works for free for a month and Laban starts to get nervous. He's like, look, you're my blood. You're my sister's son. I can't do this. What, what, I have to pay you something. What do you want your wages to be? And Jacob says, all right, give me Rachel. I'll work for you if you would give me your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban says, fine, you work for me for seven years, and I will give you Rachel. And it says that 
Jacob was in so, so in love that it seemed like just a few days or weeks and, and, and seven years passed by so quickly. And when the wedding night comes, now I don't know what kind of party was going on that night. I don't know what Jacob was doing, but for some reason, Rachel, uh, Laban, his uncle, we find out is a little bit of a shyster. And instead of Laban sending in Rachel, the promise, sends in Leah. I don't know why Jacob didn't realize this, but we're going to ignore that part. I will say that God uses brokenness. It's the real, I love how the Bible doesn't dress things up. If we look at our lives, it's not beautiful, paint it picture perfect. There's a lot of mistakes we make, other people make towards us, but yet God seems to be able to redeem it anyway. Anyway, that's why I love the Bible. But anyway, so, so Jacob in the morning, oh, I love how the Bible says this. I don't know if you have pro presenter or to show verses, but if we just look at um, uh, 20, Genesis 29, verse 25, it's the first book of the Bible. Helping the guys out back there. I know you guys know. Just, I'm just putting this on them. Genesis 29, verse 25. It says, when the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to him, this is the NIV. All right. Do you have any other version than that? But it says, there was Leah. Your version, if you're looking at it, says, behold, Leah. I don't know if you... Jacob in the NLT... You guys need to get saved. What's this new living translation? What is this? What are you doing? It's kind of heresy. I'm just kidding. You got King James and new King James. I'm just kidding with you. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it's behold, it was Leah. Thanks, brother. I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but I have. God gives us promises. We're broken, snot running down our face. We're crying. Yes, God, I'll do anything. Yes to the nations. Yes, God, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. You'll send me. Yes, yes. You show up to church. You're like, I'm prophet Paul. And they're like, oh, welcome. I've come to serve. Oh, that's awesome. Here's the toilet brush. Behold, Leah. <laughs> what? God, you didn't say this. He said the nations, God. I think we're all honest with ourselves. We've had these behold Leah moments in our lives. And, and Jacob, who was not really treated well, when you think about it, I said Laban's a shyster, and he shouldn't have done what he had done. But if you do think about it from a father's perspective... He tells Jacob this, he says, it would have not been right for you to marry the younger daughter before my elder daughter. See, he knew that if Rachel was married before Leah, that probably Leah would have never been married. And he had a father's heart for his daughters. Even though he did it wrong, and I don't agree with the way he did it, he wanted his daughters to be married. And so he tells Jacob this, he says, Love Leah. Give Leah the wedding week that she deserves. Take care of her because that's my daughter. And then I'll give you Rachel and you can work for me for another seven years. That's the shyster part, all right? Total shyster. Now, this is where it all hinges. The whole, the whole verse hinges on this. In Genesis 29, verse 30, 31... It says this, Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Some of your versions actually say unloved, but that actually makes it more compassionate. If you look at the original Greek, that's the original Greek, hated. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her room, but Rachel was barren. And I just want to propose something to you, that the process that you're going through the Leah in your life, God always wants you to love. And as long as you hate the Leah in your life, 
your promise is going to remain barren. Your Leah could be anything. It could be the job you're working. It could be the, the, the maybe I had one, one woman, she had seven kids in, in her, um, right after another, she had a career and she got married and she, and then she had seven children and she ended up saying, you know, I love my kids. I wouldn't return my kids. Of course I love them. She goes, but they were like my Leah. I was just tolerating my children. I was just tolerating this season in my life. See, See, the, the issue is, is that we need to learn to love our Leah. When you love the process, you start bearing the offspring that produces the character that will carry your promise. Why do I say it that way? Well, the first children of Jacob is Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. It's the first four children. They all come from Leah. That's the womb that opened up in Leah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And what do they mean? To see. Simeon means to hear. Levi means to be at one with. And Judah means to praise. And when you love your Leah, you learn to see him more, to hear him, to be at one with him, and to praise him no matter the circumstance. So that when your Joseph is born, the epitome of wisdom, anointing, influence, and power, you're able to carry it. Look, I, I remember when I was um, in uh, uh, ministry school. I went to ministry school. God, God called me out of my career. I sold everything I had. I actually cashed in my retirement plan. I, I said, God, I'm going for hard after you. And I, had to, I still had my twins from, from my younger days, so I had to support them. So I, I made decisions financially that would be able to take care of them. But I, really, I was poor for the rest of those times. Fixed income. Uh, and I went to ministry school for multiple years. When I was leaving ministry school, Dr. Randy Clark, this itinerant evangelist, he's uh, famous for starting the Toronto Revival and also traveling the world, and and, um, millions have come to Jesus through his ministry. And so uh, he had asked me to start traveling with him, to be his intern. And I thought, wow, what an honor, you know? And and I didn't think that that's what God was doing in my life. I thought I was going to be an associate pastor somewhere. So um, I, I was like, okay, God, well, maybe I'm supposed to travel with him. Maybe that's this promise that's being, you know, you're, I'm trying to connect the dots with all the things that I thought was going to happen. And so I, I, end, up tra- I end up going to, to Randy's um, uh, office in his headquarters in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And I'm, I, I show up, I'm now Randy Clark's intern. And they're like, great, we're so glad to have you here, Paul. That's great. I'm like, you know, because maybe I'll be traveling the nations and, and just preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and doing all this stuff. And, and they're like, thanks for coming. Here's a tape gun. I want you to tape all these boxes up with books. I'm like, no, no, no. I went to ministry school for two years. They taught me how to preach. You know, I, I've learned how to pray. I've been doing all this hard work. I studied the whole Bible. To, I, I didn't do this to, to tape boxes of books up. I found out that that the intern is the lowest person on the totem pole. And I had to tape up boxes and pack books. I had to send emails out and do all the logistics of the behind-the-scenes work for all these meetings, and nobody was knowing my name. Nobody, I would, I, it took two and a half years before I was even allowed to be on stage. And I hated it. Everyone would leave for work, and there I am, packing books, counting inventory, tallying things, nothing that I went for training for, nothing that was promised, no prophetic word lined up with it, and I'm working there late at night, working 60 hours a week or more, and I'm like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this? And I was tolerating the process that God was having me go through, and I realized something, that I was hating the Leah that was in my life. And I realized that this process is a process that God actually wanted me to go through. He didn't, he wanted me to to love the Leah in my life. And so instead of hating that season, I started making them opportunities to spend time with him. I started trying to say, God, well, if this is where you have me, I'm going to pursue it with excellence. I know this is what I wasn't trained for. I know I had other promises in my life. I'm going to pursue this with excellence. I'm going to be the best tape boxer that anyone has ever seen. 
And I would tape the edges and no boxes exploded when they left. I, my inventory counts were always on. Uh, Randy's, Randy's personal ministry increased 500% under my administration. <laughs> Honest to God. Because I said, God, I'm going to do it with excellence. And there was something that started to bear fruit in my life. See, the offspring of loving my Leah was I ended up producing character things where I could see him. Clearly, I could hear him. I could be at one with him and I can praise him no matter my circumstance. So when opportunity arose for me to start ministry and being launched, I could carry the anointing that I was called to. If people asked me when I graduated ministry school, would I be ready? I would have said, yeah, I'm ready. This is everything I've been waiting for. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. But see, the reality was, I didn't know I wasn't ready. There's a reason why you're in your process. See, when you only tolerate your process, it reveals a character flaw that you need more process. When you only tolerate your process, it reveals a character flaw that you need more process. I, um, I never heard an exact word from the Lord during those 30 days of fasting. I was getting excited every day going and hearing from him and spending time and just waiting on him. I knew that I was being strengthened, that, that God was giving me intimacy and trust that were being, and I was just like, God, I'm here just because I'm not here because I'm wanting something from you. I'm here because I want to be here. The end of January, I end up getting asked to be in Washington State University area. We, we ended up working with a, um, uh, a ministry, healing rooms ministry out there. Richie had connected me with them. Me and Richie and a friend of mine named Kale went out there. We started ministering. We, we had a church host us, but I didn't know any real church out there. And Washington State University um, is in Pullman, Washington. It's a Division I school. It's got 30,000 students. And it's on the eastern side of Washington State. And it's right at the border of Idaho. And eight miles away from Washington State University is the University of Idaho, which has about 12,000 students. So you have two universities within eight miles of each other of almost 45,000 university students. And so since it was like a university town when we were there, we said, you know, we should go onto the campus and, um, see, and see what it's like. And so Richie, Kale, and I end up driving onto the campus, and uh, while we're on the campus, uh, Richie says, I, f- I sense a spirit of suicide on this campus. Now, if you know anything about Richie Seltzer, he is the joy man. He just always talks about joy. He sees the golden people. He doesn't like to think about the negative stuff, and so that would be, that's actually something he wouldn't normally say, so when he said it, I, it, I took attention to it, and I said, you know, I do. I feel a sense of hopelessness in this area, I do sense that. And I asked Kale, who's our prophet friend, you know, I'm like, where should we go? You know, and he's like, we should go to like the bookstore library area. And the library was closed, so we go to the bookstore area. And Richie meets a guy by the bathroom who, uh, 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 who was not doing very well. And he, uh, his, his family member had committed suicide a bit ago. And one of the prominent students on campus had just committed suicide on campus at the Rite Aid. They have a Rite Aid on campus because they're such a big campus. And so uh, a lot of the campus was broken up about it. And so that kind of made sense to us. So Richie ministered to him, and then we ended up leaving, and we go, oh, well, maybe that was that, you know? And see, this is what I normally do. I usually do smaller gatherings, up to 800 people, uh, training and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. This is what I've been called to. This is what I've been doing for about three years. And that's to the church, to empower the church. But as we're leaving the campus in the car, we're passing the basketball arena, for the college campus. And I watch my hand as it goes up and points to the basketball arena. And I said, I wonder what it would cost to rent something like that. That was so shocking to me because it wasn't like I thought that thought. And so I'm like, 
okay, you know, like. <laughs> Richie and I, we go back to where we were staying, and we're looking at, at the um, schedule online, and we notice that the first Friday that school's in session, this past August, August 25th, there's no football game going on, there's no basketball game going on. And we think to ourselves, I wonder if that arena is available then. Now, I've never done anything like this in my life. I don't even know why we're wondering this, because I actually have zero money to rent something like that. But I felt like it was the Lord, and rather than being disobedient, I'd rather be obedient and have doors close on me and say, well, God, I tried. You know what I mean? One of those things. And so I did the coldest cold call that you could ever think of calling. I actually looked up online for the events director. I don't know anybody in the campus or in the university. I just found the guy online. I leave a voicemail for him. I say, yeah, we're interested in renting the, the arena. just wanted to know a few questions. And I hang up and I go, whew, glad I got that off my plate. The next day I get a phone call back. It's the events director for the arena. And he's sitting in his office on speakerphone with his staff. And he goes, who are you guys? What's this global awakening? Are you, are you guys a political party? Are you, is this going to be like some protesters? And, you know, because there was a lot of rallies happening at that time. And I said, no, I, I hope there's not going to be protesters. And I started to say things that I had no idea that I, I, I didn't even plan these things, but it was like the Lord was saying them through me. I said, oh, what we want to do is we rent the arena. We want to get celebrities and athletes come and speak and bring hope and life to the campus. At the end, we'll have an altar call because we're a Christian organization, but we're, we, we just want to speak life into this place. He said, wow. I said, uh, I just didn't know if it was even available. He goes, huh. I hear him lean back on his chair, you know, like, eh? you know what I'm talking about? He said, you know, it's interesting. It's booked before that day and it's booked after that day, but that one day, that Friday, it's available. I said, Wow. Well, how much would it cost? I'm actually getting nervous as I'm asking these questions. Because, you know, now I'm going to have to do some faith stuff. I have friends who've rent out uh, arenas like this, and they've cost, what, sixty dollars to $100,000 just to rent the space. Doesn't include all the instruments and all the stage and everything like that. He goes, I really like what you're doing. This guy's not a Christian. He says, I, I think what you're doing is really good. He goes, can I sell food there? I said, you can sell all the food you want. He said, are you going to charge tickets? I said, no, it would have to be absolutely free. He said, okay. He says, I think I can get this for you for about $7,000. I almost fell out of my chair. I got faith for $7,000. So I had a big thing on my hands because I don't know any athletes, celebrities, musicians. You know, I don't, like, oh, oh, okay. Can you hold it for two weeks? Because I still have to confirm, you know, I still got, I got to find people. And, and I just met a friend of mine who was the NBA All-Star chaplain uh, for the NBA All-Star teams uh, a year ago. And so I called him. I said, listen, this is what happened. And he goes, man, that's the Lord. He's like, you got that day available. And, it's, and he says, all right, he says, let me see what I can do. And he sends me a text 20 minutes later. He says, I have Sean Alexander on the phone. He wants to know what you want him to do. Now, Sean Alexander is the NFL MVP running back for the Seattle Seahawks. And we're in Washington State. I said, uh, I want him to give, because I'm just making this stuff up. And, you know, like, I, I'm like, I want him to, we're just speaking life and hope into the campus. I want him to share his testimony. We're going to have an altar call. We want, see, I, I, I know famous Christians, you know, that are famous to, to churches, but I, to attract the lost, I don't want to fill up the stadium with Christians. I want to fill it with the lost. I want to, I want to fill it with people. So I need people who are, who are influencing the mountains of entertainment and athletics and, 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 so that, and, and music so that the, the lost will come. So, so they're, they're saved, but they're also influencing the secular community. You understand? So, so Sean Alexander, uh, he, he writes back, he says, Sean Alexander says he's in. I said, well, I have no money. <laughs> he says, it's for the gospel, and it's, free. it's a free event. He says he'll come. And then Antoine Randall L., who's a Super Bowl MVP wide receiver, who's a radical revivalist, if you don't know him, for Pittsburgh Steelers. He hears about the event. He's, and he, he also played for the Redskins for a year. We don't, talk, we don't talk about that, actually. He hears about the event. He says, I'm coming. Then we get Christian uh, rappers uh, who have some crossover, and we have the largest interdenominational, we had 28 churches to support the event. We had 11 campus ministries come, 
And basically, we had this, God gave us this idea to have an after party where the people who get saved, we, on campus, we, run a, we have DJ come, we have this huge party, and everyone who came forward for salvation gets a wristband. And the campus ministries, what they did was, they knew someone was a, had a wristband, they would go and talk to them and find their tribe and try to, you know, share the gospel and, and try to, you know, disciple. Because I didn't want to just get people saved and dismiss them. I wanted to hand off the baton for discipleship. So we had every campus ministry represented. It was the largest interdenominational gathering they've ever had in that city. I didn't know any church beforehand. I didn't know any businessmen beforehand. I would just have these luncheons that God gave us these ideas for these luncheons, and they would show up, and we raised almost $100,000 to do this event, to pay for every flight, to pay for all the hotels, to pay for all the meals. Now, if God would have asked me to do an event like that any time before a year ago, I would have said, mm, I don't know. See, if someone spoke that word over me, I don't know if I would have had faith for it, but it was the years of serving and loving the process in my life that was able to produce, as I waited on him, the type of trust that, I, that he needed from me so that when he asked me to step out, I said yes, because everything was on the line in my life. I needed people to front money, and I didn't know if I would be able to pay them back. Because you have to rent something and you have to reserve equipment and all that stuff. And so I had Global Awakening and Randy Clark say, okay, we'll, we'll set out the money. Just try to raise the funds to cover it. And thank God they did. See, it's when we love the process that God can produce these things. There's a video we have I want to show you. Is it okay if I show that in here? It's four minutes long. It's a wrap-up video. Um, I, I should have get it shorter, but I wanted you to see these kids get touched. Wait till the end because we had baptisms on campus at the end. I got these shirts that weren't, aren't released yet. They're not for sale yet, but I found this company. Yeah, I'll get you some. Where they're gray shirts, they're plain athletic shirts, but when they get wet, the face of Christ appears. And so we would put these shirts on these guys as they repented, and then we'd put, they're all campus, they're all kids on campus, and they would get baptized in the face of Christ, and it was so powerful. It's one of the best nights of my life. And then we got funding to do a Hope Fest every year. Someone, a businessman, said, I want to give $120,000 a year to do this every year on campus, and God's opening up the campuses for us and the athletes for us to come. <clears throat> But I, I want you to see what's possible through loving your Leah. And we had Richie Seltzer speak at it. Um, and then I'm going to close.
Sometimes we get on the path and we think that this is the path I want to do. When you surrender to God, God puts you on this different journey. Hopelessness comes when you begin to put hope in something that can't carry the weight of the thing you most hope for. God created us in His image. And 1 John 4 says that God is love. Come on. We had over 250 salvations that night, over 30-some baptisms. It was a powerful, powerful night. And I, if you don't mind standing, I, I just want um, to give us an opportunity. Now, maybe, maybe you've come today, and you're hearing about destiny and hope, and you're hearing about the process and the promise and, and about Christ but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before. Maybe you've been coming to church the past couple of weeks and maybe someone's been bringing you and you like all this stuff, but you're just, you just never have been sure. You've never made that decision to submit your life to Christ, to come into a hope that's everlasting. Maybe you've just been struggling always looking but never finding the real thing. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ will turn your life around. He's not only salvation that you get when you die. He's not just your ticket into heaven, but He's actually heaven coming into you. And if you've never made that decision and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you said, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of never being fulfilled, never being, uh, 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 being able to get past myself. And I want to give my life to Christ. Would you just come? Today's your day. Today's the day you make that decision. You might feel your heart pounding. You might feel like everything that's been spoken to you is about you direct it right towards you. That's because God's marked you. He said, you're the one I want. You're the one I've been after for so long. And all I need you to do is submit to me. I know it's a big deal just coming down to walk here. I, I just don't feel like, you know, if, you, if you're going to give your life to Christ, it's such a big deal. Just st sticking your hand up like this isn't enough. It's a, it's a boldness thing. It's a thing saying, I'm going to be submitting my life and you can just come All, every one of us here have made this decision at one time or another and if you've not made that I want to just invite you up here I just want to give you some time because I know it's not, I know it's sometimes it's a wrestle to, to make that decision alright if you've if you if you're in this audience and you still haven't made that decision and you want to make that decision later, just come see me, Richie, or the pastor here, the pastors at Central Assembly. We, we would love to lead you in prayer to come and to know him, to know Jesus Christ.
Now I want to do an altar call for those who do know the Lord, but you feel like you've been given the Leah instead of the Rachel. The behold Rachel, the behold Leah moment was such a surprise, and you didn't know how to process this. And I want to give you an opportunity today to love your Leah, to love the process that God's put in your life. That you say, God, I'm going to love her. You see, what's interesting about the Leah Rachel scenario is that the ultimate promise of Jesus Christ actually never came through Rachel, came through Leah, through Judah. And I'd just like to submit to you today that the promise that God has for you, He hasn't really totally revealed because He's going to come through your Leah moments. There's even greater fulfillment that's going to come through the hard work of loving your process. So if this message is touching you today, if you said, this is me, I need to, I need to repent, I need to love my Leah, I want to, I, I want to fall in love with my Leah and love this process so I could produce the offspring, so I could do something like this. Just come forward. Come on down, I'd love to pray with you. This, is, this needs to be a turning point for your life. You're saying, I'm tired of, of just complaining. I'm tired of tolerating. God, I want a heart change, God. See, it's when God saw that Leah was unloved. That's how important that was to his life. Just come on down. Just try to make some room. Some of you think, oh, I've, I've missed the boat. My destiny's delayed. I'm not going to get the promise. God, I want you to know that God is so amazing at producing the best out of every bad decision we've made. Greater than you can imagine. He's going to turn it so around. There's nothing you could do to, to totally ruin exactly what God's going to do in your life. He's going he's to bring it around eventually. And so, God, I just bless my brothers and sisters here right now. God, I thank you, Lord, for their honesty, God. I thank you, Lord, for their commitment to say, I'm going to lay down my pride. I'm going to lay down my, my selfishness, God. I'm going to lay down all the, all the, what I thought was the promise, God, and I'm going to love what you've put in front of me, God. I'm going to love the process, God, so that I can produce the offspring, God, that you want in my life, Lord, so that I can carry the fulfillment of the promise over me, Lord. And so, God, I bless each and every person here. God, I ask for a transference of anointing from heaven to their life, God. Lord, that they would get the heart that they need to get through the process, God. Whoa, that you would give them direction and discernment and understanding, God, so that they could tolerate, not just tolerate, but love it, God. And so, Lord, I bless them right now, God. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.